Father God, we, we just pray that our hearts might break for the things that break your heart, God. That, God, we might be looking forward to a, a time when revival would be the story of our land. Father, I just thank you for all those who have risen up and decided that complacency and, and worldliness, God, wasn't going to be any more a place in their life, but they've taken their place in active discipleship, God, and they're doing their best to follow you and to live their life in a way that brings you glory and honor. God, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be honored in everything that we say and do. Yet sometimes, God, we're just humans and we get busy and the cares of this life drag us away from those things that are important, the concerns that seem to dominate the news cycle and our Facebook feed and our own personal conversations with people, God. They just, they, they steal the, the vision and the recognition, God, of all the good that you've put in our life and all that you've done for us. God, I just pray that amidst the busyness of this season, the craziness of life, that God, we might just take time to reflect on what it is that you've given us when you gave us your son. God, help that knowledge to not just be something that kind of passes through our mind and, and passes out as we leave the building today, God, but I just pray that that knowledge might might make a real change in our perspective, might make a real change in how we look at life, how we look at you, and how we look at our service towards you, God. We just pray that you would be with us today, Lord, that you would open our hearts as we open your word together. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. The book of Isaiah is just full of references to a time when something better was going to happen. You might understand it if you kind of understood a little bit about the time in which Isaiah and Jeremiah and others wrote. They, they wrote at this period in time where, where really the, the assessment of Israel was kind of bleak. They were, they were telling the people, eventually you're going to be taken captive. Eventually the good that God has blessed you with and wants to give you as his people is going to be removed from you because you just can't give up worshiping idols. But there's something better coming. And that something that's better coming is something that not only gave those Israelites hope as they were separated from their homeland and from their faith for so many years, but it's also something that gives us hope today. Because so often, as the, as the writer Isaiah writes about the inspiration and the goodness of what was to come, he is literally writing not about the city of Jerusalem or about a subsequent temple that would be built, which is probably what a lot of those people thought he was writing about, but he was writing about a kingdom that was not of this world. He was talking about a king that was not that was not an earthly king or part of an earthly kingdom. He was talking about a nation that wasn't going to be called the Greeks or the Romans or the Hebrews. He was talking about the coming of Christ and the church. In Isaiah the ninth chapter and other places, there's this, this moment where, where Isaiah is, is reminding the people that better days are ahead. And he says these words, it's a theme that we just see repeated over and over again in Scripture, this theme of darkness and light, this theme of, of, of brokenness and emptiness, and this theme of fullness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light of those living in the land of darkness. A light has dawned. 
This time of year, we, we think a lot about lights, don't we? I'll bet some of you guys, have, if you decorated, probably something in your decorations for this season includes lights. It's just kind of a part of who we are. As human beings, we're, we're naturally attracted to light. And if we're in a place where there's complete darkness, it's just kind of a disconcerting sort of thing. It kind of dries us up. There's a story told years ago of a, of a man, a very wealthy man, a very, a very solitary man in his vision and purpose. And it was to build a company of great standing. And he was successful in doing so. He had an office staff that, was, that, that, that would serve him faithfully. And the money and his business proceedings were, 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 were just flowing in. He was doing very well. Because he was doing so well, he decided that he should install in his office building a brand new vault. A brand new vault that would be of, of absolute perfect security. A, a vault that, that would lock at a certain time each and every day. And, and that way he would be able to protect those things that were so valuable to him. The, the money and the investments that he had acquired in life. And so he, he had the old vault removed. And he had this brand new vault put into his office building. It was on the, 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 the eve of, of the holidays that, that he, he walked into, in, into his vault. And, and while he was doing some work there, silently on newly oiled hinges, the vault door swung quietly shut. And he heard it the moment that the strikers hit and the latches began to deploy. And he recognized that it wasn't just a, any kind of day, simple latching, but it was the latching of the time sequence that it would not be opened until the following morning. He began to beat on the door of the safe, and he began to holler, but he recognized all the office staff that already left for the day. It was just he alone with all those things that he thought were going to bring him happiness. He began to des become desperate because he, he thought about suffocating. He'd heard that people could suffocate in a, in a vault, and then he remembered that one of the sales features that the salesman had told him about was, was that the, in, the, in the vault there was a vent somewhere that was to let air in, small enough to keep a burglar out, big enough to allow people to breathe, and he's, he's fumbling around in the complete darkness. He finally accesses that little, that little hole there on, on the top, and he recognizes he's not going to die, but he has a very long night ahead of him. And then he gets thinking... No one's coming in tomorrow either. It's going to be a full 48 hours nearly of sitting here in the darkness. I don't know how many of you have ever been in darkness for an extended period of time. I have a good friend that is losing his vision. And every time I, I speak with him, it kind of breaks my heart. Because that's a difficult thing to be in the darkness. For the next 48 hours, they... They dwelled, he dwelled in complete darkness, and it was finally on the day after the holidays that, that the office manager comes in and puts the sequins to unlock the vault. The vault door unlocks, and slowly the, man, the boss sneaks out, leaves the office having not been noticed by anybody, <laughs> goes home, takes a shower, and comes back, embarrassed of his mistake, but forever changed. Light has come into the world. That light's name is Jesus Christ, and for the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about some of the things that accompany the coming of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of the things that we just take for granted, or maybe some of the things that we don't recognize the importance of at all. The light of Christ brings joy, it brings deliverance, and it brings victory. This morning, we're going to talk about the joy that comes through Jesus. 
One of my favorite Bible stories in the Old Testament is the story of Gideon. You guys know it, right? Gideon's this guy. He's, he's kind of a chicken sort of guy. He's out beating grain in the bottom of a wine press, hiding from the Midianites who have, who have taken over the land and who are on every corner. And, and you remember that God shows up to Gideon and he calls him, oh, mighty warrior. Even though right at this point in time, Gideon was the farthest thing from mighty or a warrior. And then God has Gideon pull together an army, and, and people come from all over the, all, all the corners of Israel because God said, we're going to drive these Midianites out of the land. We're going to get rid of this oppression, and thousands upon thousands of men come. But when God looks at this group that is amassed there, even though the Midianites were as numerous as the sand on the seashore, it says their numbers couldn't be counted. Their animals were simply staggering the number of animals that they had. Even though there were, the odds were already overwhelmingly against God's people, God tells, tells Gideon, Gideon, I want you to kind of lighten up the army. Now, I don't know, but I think this is the only time in recorded history that an army is mustered for a great battle, and the commander of the army decided there were too many people there. He, he, he sends, God says, just tell everybody who's chicken to go home. And it says through the night, about half of his army, or a little bit better, sneaks off because they were really afraid. And through a gradual pairing process, God finally got down to a small force of 300 guys. And you look at that and you're like, what? How are you going to drive a vast army out of the land of Israel, the Midianites who were trained soldiers and just bad to the bone kind of individuals? How are you going to do that with 300 guys, trumpets, and torches and jars? But that's how God works. God takes things that no one else would ever imagine. He takes implements that no one else would ever see a design or a purpose in, and he uses them to do something great. Who would have thought that a small baby born in a barn would be the bearer of light that would change the entire course of human history? Whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Christ, whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, there's one thing that all of us can agree on, and that is that Jesus existed and left an indelible mark on the history of mankind. If you were to have some kind of a giant magnet and be able just to pull out every fragment of Jesus from the last 2,000 years of history, guys, you would not be left with a whole lot. The world was radically changed by the birth of this young, bo- of this young child. God did it in a way that no one would have ever imagined. Because our God is noted for using the small for the weak and for the little to fulfill his purpose. That little child that was born into the world would ultimately completely transform and change this world. And among other things, one of the things that Jesus brought into this world was joy. Isaiah again says in Isaiah 60 in verses 1 and 2, he said, Arise! Let your light shine for all the nations of the sea, for the glory of of the Lord is streaming from you. Darkness as black as night shall cover all the peoples of the earth, but the glory of the Lord will shine from you. I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is. Uh, One of my favorite is Joy to the World. And it's funny because it's written by a guy named Isaac Watts. You may or may not know. Isaac Watts wrote several songs. Probably most widely known is Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, some older hymns. And maybe When I Survey the Wondrous Cross has a beautiful song that's kind of been redone in the last 
20 years or so. Um, beautiful lyricist. He, he just wrote really meaty and strong lyrics. And, but, but when Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, he, he didn't intend for it at all to be a, to be a, a song sung at Christmas. It was a song of, of commitment. It was a song that reminded us of what Jesus did when he came. That when he came, and for those of us who make him room, he will radically change the story of our lives. And so in the few moments that we have here this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about joy because, well, from my observation, joy is one of those things that sometimes is lacking in a lot of our lives. When the Bible talks about having a relationship with Jesus, about knowing who Jesus is, even when uh, ancient songwriters were to write about Jesus and about his coming, their immediate response was joy, was excitement, was enthusiasm for those who fully surrendered themselves to that. And yet, today, sometimes when we think of Christ and we think of Christianity, few people think about joy. Maybe that's because we are a culture that is absolutely crazy with the idea of being, of being happy. A year or so ago, I, I was sitting down to lunch with a friend of mine, and he was talking about, he said, man, I really need to get my, my weight in check, you know? And that's a problem when you get our age. You, gotta, you look at food, and it just jumps on you. And so, and so he said, you know, I was reading something, and, and, and I talked with another one of the young guys in, in church here that knows a lot more about that stuff than I do. Um, and, and he said it's true, too. He said that so often in life, you, you think you're hungry, but especially when it's hot and in the summer, you're actually thirsty. You, you, you think, man, if I could really use a Big Mac, but what you really need is about 32 ounces of water. He said, I, I found this out. If, if I drink water first, I don't eat near as much, right? Now, maybe that's just because you filled your stomach up. Hey, I don't know. I'm not a nutritionist, all right? But, but, but it seems like the scientific evidence kind of says that's true. When we're dehydrated, our body says, I need something, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. And I think our emotions and our heart does the same thing to us. And as Americans, we just become obsessed with being happy. We want to be happy. We want to be happy whatever the cost might be. But here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is one of those things that's almost impossible to hang on to. You might have been to Disney World. They call it the, most hap the happiest place on earth. But no one lives there. You, you end up going home from there. And I have a friend that worked there once, and he said it's far from the happiest place on earth behind the scenes, right? Even those things that we think will, will make us happy don't tend to make us happy. And sometimes people turn to, to religion to find happiness. And, and, and most every religion in the world kind of has an interesting thing. It says you ought to live as you ought and God will accept you. But Christianity says something a little bit different. Christianity says you receive God's acceptance and salvation as a free gift. And then you live as you ought. God gives us the gift of salvation up front. And so let me just ask you this morning, is it happiness or is it joy that we really desire? Are we just trying to feel a deeper need for real joy and real purpose and real, and real life with this kind of candy sort of thing that we would call happiness? Romans, the fifth chapter in verse number one, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul uses a lot of language right here that's really, really powerful. And let me just point out some of the things he says. He says, first, he says, we have peace with God. Guys, that's a tremendous thing. Some of us have just grown up in church, and, and we don't realize how beautiful a thing it is to be at peace with our Creator. Some of us know what it's like not to be at peace with God or at peace with ourselves. One of the messages of the, uh, of the angels was peace on earth. Peace coming to earth. And guys, listen, I, I don't think that they were talking about a time where everything in this world is going to be peaceful. Maybe I'm wrong, and I hope that I'm wrong, but I just look at human nature, and I see people, and I know sin, and you guys do too, and it just doesn't seem like unless every single person in the world comes to Christ, we're ever going to have a time where there's truly peace on earth in the sense that sometimes people think of it as. But I think what, I think what, what the angels were talking about was a peace with God. A peace between us and our Creator. Us being able to go to our Heavenly Father and recognize everything's okay between us. Maybe you've had a, had a relationship with somebody that got tarnished. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was an employer. Maybe it was a close friend. And you knew that that relationship was off and it just drove you crazy. And then you know how good it feels when when you've been reconciled, when things have been changed. And Paul said, we have peace with God. It's not because we could do it, but because Jesus Christ did it through him. And Paul is really careful here to remind us that it's not something we're earning right here, but it's through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. He talks about being able to access something that's beautiful, being able to step or stand in grace and recognize, hey, I'm not all that. And I think we would all agree with that this morning. We're not great, beautiful, wonderful, perfect people. We're trying to be better, but we fail. But we can stand in grace, recognize that God is willing to forgive us. A passage of scripture I remind myself often, it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, we, we need to make sure we do accountability. We need to make sure we take inventory we need not just to kind of live our lives wild and loose and say, hey, you know, God will forgive me. No, we, we need to confess that sin. We need to recognize it. But we can also recognize that we have confidence because God will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third thing Paul says is that we rejoice. We find joy in hope of the glory of God. We have something to hope in. To live a life, you need a center of joy. To live the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. And I think a lot of people don't believe that. I think a lot of people believe that, that, that pursuing real joy in life is just kind of a, a, of a dead end. And there's been a lot of happiness studies, and there's a lot of self-help stuff out there, and there's a lot of people that really hate the idea of talking about being able just to be okay with the world. Um, and and I, I had a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to share, but I don't have time to share all that with you this morning. You can go online, you can read it, and you can look at, look at it, but there's just a bunch of people that are saying, you know what, happiness is just an illusion. It's just an emptiness. <laughs> you know, I think what happens is our hearts want to be joyful so much that they just become a gigantic vacuum pump. 
and anything. They, they, they just latch on and they try to pull joy from anything that they can find. When I was a kid, I was a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. And one season in particular, I'll never forget, because that was the year that they were going to go to the to the World Series. They just had to, you know? And, and, and I, remember, I remember I had all my baseball cards out and I would watch the stats of every game. And Mr. Kendall and I had this thing kind of going where he was a, he was a Cardinals fan too and, and my dad was a Cubs fan so there was a rivalry built in it, right? And I just knew this was going to be the year. This was going to be the year. This was going to be the year. And every day that they won a game was a beautiful day and every day they lost a game, I was kind of bummed. And you know that the baseball season's a long season. Well, ultimately, they didn't win out that year. I remember thinking to myself, I will never again give my heart to a baseball team. This is stupid. Why did I allow whether or not these guys win in a game affect how I, I live? But you know, I think some of us do that with a lot of things. I will never again give my heart to, you fill in the blank today, but our hearts are searching for joy, searching for purpose, and they fix on things they say, this will make me happy. But we all know it's not going to last. The old philosophers were all about detaching ourselves from this world, <laughs> about getting away from everything. There's a problem with that. Epicurus was a, was a famous uh, Greek philosopher, and, and, and his, his teaching, his, his followers, his disciples really... Um, kind of boiled down life's existence to this. And it might sound familiar to you because I think it's the way a lot of people are trying to live their lives today in America. I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of latching on to something only not to find that joy that I really, really desire. So he said, don't believe in God or the gods. They most likely don't exist. And if they do, they don't care about you. Step number two, don't worry about death. Death is just an oblivion, a condition not, dif or not different from where you were before you were born. Just don't, don't be obsessed with, with death. Step three, forget as best you're able about pain. Pain is either brief or it will vitially, and it will diminish or it will lead to death, which is a good thing as well, according to Epicurean. Step four, don't waste your time trying to acquire anything extra in life um, because the effort that it takes to get it will certainly not pay back the, the, the trouble that you went to get it. And it was his idea. Don't, don't have a God. Don't worry about death. Hey, don't worry about, about pain. And if you can figure out how to deal with it, then, then just get rid of it. And don't worry about trying to make this world a better place or accomplish anything. It'll end up empty anyway. You know, I think in a lot of ways, our culture today is kind of kind of gone that way. We don't want to believe in God. We, 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 we want to believe in an afterlife, sort of, but only when it's convenient for us. We certainly don't want to believe in a heaven or, or hell or, or consequences for how we live in this life. So many people just try to forget that. We're obsessed with eliminating pain. If you don't believe me, just go to Walgreens or CVS this afternoon. Go to Walmart and look. There's an entire section of the store just, just dedicated to, to pain relief. And, and there's many people within our culture that have become hopelessly addicted to drugs which take away pain. But I think C.S. Lewis said it well in his book, The Four Loves. Let me just read it to you this morning. I can't paraphrase it as well as C.S. Lewis said it. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything, 
and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you do not make sure of keeping it intact, you will most, most, uh, most give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around up with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It won't be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to the alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers. The dangers and, and perturbations of love. That's a great word. C.S. Lewis used great words. Is hell. If you seek joy, your heart will be broken. Because Jesus' was. But if you detach from seeking joy in good places, it will dehumanize you. It will harden you. It will make you a person that no one wants to be around. John, to 10th chapter and verse 10, Jesus said this. And I think these words are very, very important for us today. The thief comes to kill and to destroy. He was talking about Satan right there. And if Satan can do anything in your life, guys, here's what he wants to do. He wants to kill all that's good within you, and he wants to steal the joy that you should have in Christ. That's his goal. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. God not only wants us to live, but God wants us to live with abundance. God wants us to live with joy. And so let's talk quickly this morning about how Christian or Christ-centered joy is unique because it's different than anything else that you might have experienced in this world. So many people say, well, well, well what is the difference between happiness and joy then, Jason? Explain this to me this morning. I can tell you in two things. I cannot do a complete job of telling you this. There's way too much to it. But let me just tell you two things quickly. Number one, Christian joy is not based on our circumstances. In Romans, it says not only do we rejoice, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. In verse number four, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he has given us. See, in the rest of the world, our happiness is based upon our circumstances. If you're in a good place, then you're happy. If you're in a bad place, you're miserable. In fact, there is a, a website called happiness.com, and you can go there, and you can check out what it means to be a happy person. And, and you can read a lot of the articles. Let me just condense them down to you. Here's pretty much what I got from this. Um, to be, to, the five components of happy or happiness are to be in possession of the basics that you need for life. That's food, shelter, good health, safety. Um, get enough sleep. Have a relationship that are relationships that matter to you. Take compassionate care of others and yourself, and have a work or interest that engages you. Now, on the surface, all five of those things look good, don't they? I mean, there's nothing wrong in having the basics we need. We are blessed in that this morning. We thank God for that. It's good to get enough sleep. Right? It changes a lot of things. It's wonderful to have relationships in your life that matter to you, that are important. It's important to invest in people. 
It's important for us to take compassionate care of others. And it's also nice to have work that, engage, that we can engage with. But it's troubling as well. Because there is a ton of people in this world today. We prayed for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving and worshiping God throughout the world who aren't as blessed as we are. And there's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ, guys, who, who are not in possession of the basics that we would think are necessary for life. They don't have adequate food. The clothing that they wear is not adequate to their need. They don't have health care that we enjoy. Oftentimes, they don't get enough sleep. If you live in certain places in the world right now, you're either fighting off the mosquitoes or you're you're shivering in coldness. Often those relationships that are most important to them, those, those people that they love the most, sometimes their own parents, for little children, those relationships are fractured by death. They try to take care of one another. But to say that they have work that they're interested in or engaged in would be a a far stretch. No, they just do what they have to do today to survive today. If, If the only way that we can truly have joy and happiness is to have those things in our life, then we've completely missed out on that. But the Bible says, no, that's not the case. We as Christians, we find joy. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't let us down. Verse number 11, it goes on to say, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, guys, my, my mom, your mom's probably said this to you too, but my mom would always tell me, Jason, don't eat candy before your meal. We'd go to my grandma's house. She would have all this whole front room of her house just full of candy for the holidays. All kinds of great stuff. And my mom would never let me go in there until I'd eaten dinner. And why did she not let me in there before I ate dinner? It'll spoil your lunch, right? You won't eat your meat and potatoes. And guys, I think culturally what we're done today is exactly that. Rather than digging deep and saying, okay, I want to have that real joy that comes with having an investment in my relationship with God. And I really want to really dig this out and I want to live this genuinely. I want to do the things that God has called me to do. I want to live out the promises that God has promised to me. We say, no, just give me something quick. Give me that quick sugar dose. Give me something that will make me happy in the moment. Take away this hurt. I don't want to deal with those difficult things. And Because of that, we never really find the depth of the relationship with God that we truly desire. The second reason that Christian joy is unique is because it's already, but it's not yet. I know that's a little confusing this morning, but let me explain that to you. Our, our hope, our joy is something that we can experience right now in this world. But it's not all that we're ever going to be able to enjoy. Jesus, when he's about to leave this world, he he tells the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you can't believe the kind of place I'm preparing. But when I'm finished, I will come back and I will take you to be with with me. And we will forever be with the Lord. Guys, there's no way for us to know the joy that we're going to experience on the other side of this life. But the beautiful thing is, is that God said, I'm not just stranding you with a hope for something in the future and a miserable existence now. No, (laughs) No, you can be joyful now as well. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number two, the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And notice the words that he uses here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. <laughs> Guys, that's a remarkable thing, that Jesus was willing to go through the cross because he knew that someday he would be able to look down from his place in heaven and see all of you guys and everyone else throughout the world who have gathered together today who are his children and realize that my sacrifice in this moment paid the price for their sins and paved the way for them to spend eternity with us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'm not going to lie to you. I know, guys, and you, we all know this morning that there are moments in life that we don't enjoy, but we endure. But when you have Christian joy, when you have a joy that's based on something that's deeper than just the immediate momentary happiness that you can buy or you can create, when you have a joy that's based on the fact that you have made peace with God through the death of Jesus and the opportunity that His blood brings us, You have something that no one can ever take away. So as we close this morning, how do you really get this joy? And we're wrapping up with this. Jesus tells us in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verses 1 through 12, we're not going to go through it this morning. We don't have time. In fact, we're out of time. It's something that we call the Beatitudes. And when we read it, we, we look at it, and we're like, this doesn't make sense. These things are not similar. They're not, they're not like one another. It doesn't seem like this, this list should work, but th these things that are on this list are things that, that bring us joy. He, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, those who are humble, those who are gentle, those who make peace, those who are not just interested but are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who have an eternal perspective about this life. Guys, here's the great news. While we were still enemies of God's, we were being reconciled to him through the death of his son. I, I love this passage in, in Romans 5 and verse 9 because it just kind of blows you away right here. Paul reminds us of something. While we didn't care at all about God, in fact, we didn't even know he existed because we didn't exist, but God knew that some point in the future we would exist. And he said, you know what? I'm sending my son to die for Jason Quarter, and I know what he's going to do. He's going to be raised up in a Christian home. His folks are going to pour in him every opportunity to make the right choice and to do the right things. But what he's going to do is he's going to choose to do what he wants to do. He's going to walk away from that. He's going to rebel. He's going to leave me. Even though he's my enemy, even though he's not thankful for what he's been given, even though he can be aggravating and irritating, I will send my son to die for him. That, when, that day when he's ready to humble himself, he can be reconciled. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's not about just being immediately reconciled to God, but it's about being saved for eternity God has been abundantly good to us and church it's time to change the way we think we, we get so caught up in all the candy of this life all the sugary quick happy fixes guys we miss that when this life is over <laughs> it's really just begun Mr. Roy read this morning that that for many, the perspective that they might have had as they stood at the foot of the cross was the chapter of Jesus' ministry and life had just closed. But in reality, it was just opening. 
What Jesus was more excited about than anything that happened before that was this thing that was going to be the church and the fact that his Holy Spirit would come and dwell with his people. And they would have a oneness that had never been experienced since, since the garden when sin entered the world. So how do we immerse ourselves in true joy? Let me just say it quickly this morning. Become an expert in God's goodness. We've been given the Holy Spirit to awaken our dead hearts. And that should bring us joy. We've been justified. And not only that, but we have been adopted into the family of God, which should give us joy. We are co-heirs with Christ, whatever that means. That's just crazy. We can't even understand that. And guys, that should give us joy. We've been given his word to know how to live this life and how to avoid a lot of the mistakes that we naturally make. And it should bring us joy. We've been given unlimited personal access to the king of the universe through prayer. That should give us joy, guys. We've been set free from the bondage of slavery, from the pursuit of of a better self, from the affirmation of others, from the fleeting pleasures of this world, from a performance-based moral religion. We have been given an opportunity, guys, to have a real relationship with the one who loved us enough to send his son to die for us. If if that doesn't bring you joy, I, I don't know what will in life. John, the 15th chapter. Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments and you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I remain in his love, I have told you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You want to know how you find joy? Here's how you do it, guys. You just... You live your life the way God's called you to live it. You make that difficult choice, even when it doesn't seem like the one you want to make. When it's a moment of endurance, you you endure whatever trial or trouble you're going through in that moment because God has said things are going to improve. And let me tell you, you can talk to some brothers and sisters in this room this morning that have walked with the Lord for a lot longer than me, and they can tell you it's true. Some of the most beautiful and happy people I've ever met are older Christians who have just genuinely lived out their faith. And even though they're old and broken and they've gone through heartache and hurt, there's just a joy that radiates from them like the light of the sun. It just warms everybody around them. And guys, it's not something that they came up with, no. No, that's the light of God shining through them. Just like Isaiah said would happen thousands of years ago. I hope this holiday season you don't allow yourself to lose the joy that God has given you. Maybe if that joy isn't there, maybe maybe it's time for us to change the way we think and just start to live and to act and to behave the way that God has called us to do. And guys, believe me, the joy comes back and faster than you might believe. Let's stand together this morning. If you have a need, you know that you can come. If you need prayer, if you've never given yourself to the Lord and you're ready to bridge that gap, this is a moment to make that decision. Let's sing together.